Good morning. Today is Sunday, December the 13th, 2015. We're at the First United Methodist Church of Fountain Valley, California, through the Bible Sunday School class. Hopefully we'll finish the book of Micah today. We will be picking it up at Micah 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. George Milak opening us in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We bless your name. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor, Lord, um, especially this uh, Christmas, remembering your birth. Uh, teach us, we pray, by your word and your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I told you we'd talk about Micah. We're not in five, but that's where the prophetic passage about um, Bethlehem is. So I'm going to read it to you in Micah and then read it to you in the New Testament, and we'll see what the differences are at Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. So here's Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days, from ancient of days. Now here's Matthew, Matthew 2, 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, there's a few little different phrases in there, but I think one of the most significant is that Micah says Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans, and the Matthew repeat says, you are by no means least. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So, uh, and then, of course, the shepherding my people Israel, that's a concept. And actually, believe it or not, when they quote the Old Testament in the New Testament, there's always seems to be a little twist. You just watch for it in the New Testament. When Paul quotes the Old Testament, there's, there's always a little tiny of a twist. But I thought that was just interesting there, that Bethlehem got a little higher statue by the time it's yeah. repeated. Uh, because the, the, the king of, of the maker of the universe is being born there, so of course it would... It Adds would a certain amount of significance, right? Yes. <laughs> it would all of a sudden make it a very a Big, city full of statues. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the circumstances had changed. Yes. Um, Matthew Henry says, although Messiah's outgoings or goings forth were from everlasting or ancient of days, that yet the redemption of God's people of Jerusalem, where he's referred to as the consolation of Israel, that had to be waited for, okay? Had to be waited for. And now it's kind of interesting, you know, so God's people waited and waited, O come, O come, you know, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. But we are no different than that, than they are, because if you go back into Hebrews, they were waiting for the first coming, but we're waiting for the second coming. Yeah. And so our lot's no different from theirs. And let's see if I can find this. Hebrews 6. I think this is it. I hope it's right. There are several places in. Nope, that's not the one I want. That's about God swearing. There's another place where he says that uh, we with eagerly wait for our salvation, for the, for the coming. Let's see if I can find it. Hebrews 
Okay. Oh, Jesus. Pretty sure it's in Hebrew where it says, while we eagerly wait for the coming. Oh, I might have written it in my scripture here. Yes, I think I did. It's going to be... It. Sometimes I get so mad at myself because I have so many passages going. Well, there's Hebrews nine twenty eight. Oh, Hebrew? No, it's not Hebrews six fifteen. We must patiently wait. Let me go back. Well, it's got something about eagerly waiting for him. Yeah, that's the one. Nine twenty eight of Hebrews. Thank you. That probably is it. Oh, yeah. Nine twenty eight. Last sentence. Yep, that's the one. Thank you. He, I knew it was in Hebrews. So it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So see, we have to turn that whole Christmas song around. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom your, you know, bring your church into her completion. You know, present her spotless as we are eagerly waiting for that day. We should add a new stanza. Yeah, we should yeah. add a new stanza that we have to posture ourselves exactly the same way. And I was going to tie that out when we get into chapter 7, when Michael will talk about he's waiting for the God of his salvation at Micah 7.7. 7, that always God's people are waiting, waiting for something. Somehow the Lord likes this waiting thing. We're waiting for the Lord to answer our prayers. We're waiting for his coming. We're waiting for him to, to uh, bring the church into her final place where she can be presented to her bridegroom. You know? So picking it up at uh, where we left off last week. Um, yeah. Just... As we ended six, you know, what, you know, he has told the old man what is good and what does the Lord require you at verse eight. You know, that admonition oh, yeah. is the same for us today, that we've received the pardon of sin, but our holiness, how we uh, walk, our holy lives are part of you know, showing our interest in this pardon that we have that Christ purchased for us. There's many, many references in the New Testament. I don't know if we have time to go through all these, saying, what then should you do that Christ has done all this? What then should you do, O man? So here in the Old Testament, you know, what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. That was our last verse from last week. And you could go back into Ephesians and Romans and 1 Corinthians where the people of God are always being exhorted by the writers of the epistles. If Christ has done all this for us, what should we do? We should be holy in all of our lives. And, and we should be, you know, 
So our responsiveness to the, to the gospel is very important to the Lord, and that's why you can't just say, well, you know, I've been saved. I'm not a perfect vessel yet. Well, we're not, but we're supposed to strive for that. We're supposed to make that our goal and um, to walk humbly with our God. So then we pick it up at verse 9. The voice of the Lord cries to the city. It's a sound of, it is sound wisdom to fear your name. This is a passage to teach our children. It is sound wisdom to fear the Lord's name. Hear of the rod of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? In their business dealings, they would, what, put a rock on the scale and charge you for two pounds of hamburger when you were only buying one? Should I acquit the man with wicked scales, with a bag of deceitful weights? You, your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. Satan lies and deceives us that we can be God's people, and we are God's people, so that God will always have this special little place for us and we can do whatever we want. That we know isn't the truth, and the Bible tells us that, but we easily fall into some version of that. That, um, you know, we've been saved by the blood of Jesus, and it cleanses us and covers all our sins. But it doesn't mean we can stay in this place that we're at, that we have to show fruits of righteousness and fruits of repentance. So he's going to describe the nature of the people here. You're going to then eat and not be satisfied. You will continue to hunger. You shall, there will be hunger within you. You shall put away but not preserve. And what you preserve I will give to the sword. You know, you're going to try to save money in your savings account, but every time you turn around, something's going to leach your savings from you. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You will tread grapes but not drink wine. In other words, you're going to work for things and it's just not going to work out. Your harvest isn't going to come in. You're going to try to make wine. It's not going to work out. It's one of the ways the Lord deals with sinners is to frustrate them in their efforts to have. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and the works of the house of Ahab. And we know Ahab was an idolater and a very wicked man. He's the one that killed uh, the vineyard owner. Naboth? Anyways, he had a nice vineyard and he took it away from him and Jezebel, his wife, said, you can have whatever you want. And um, you've walked in their councils that I make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So shall you bear the scorn of my people. Now we have Micah talking as seven opens. Woe to me, for I have become as when summer fruit has been gathered, as when grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. I went back and looked at Joshua's final words to the people. Remember, we have Moses' words to the people at the end of Deuteronomy. At the end of Joshua, as he's getting old, he kind of gives an exhortation speech to the people, and he tells them not to participate in any of the wickedness of the people in the land. 
And he tells them that the Lord will be faithful to them to expand their kingdom, but to be very careful to be a holy people. And multiple times he says, cling to the Lord. That's in Joshua 24. And it's also the, the place where he, the famous passage as for me and my house, oh, yeah. we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24. So um, here in uh, Micah, Micah will talk about the day of your watchmen at verse 4, that they had had many people sent to them, but were finally at this place where the godly has perished from the earth. This is right before they're going to go into Babylon. It says, their hands uh, are on what is evil to, to do it well, to do evil well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. So they a very corrupt government ruling class. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, you know, the prophets were called watchmen. You can read about that in Ezekiel. The day of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. Because everybody's to be not trusted. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The man's enemies are the men of his own house. And you recognize that passage because Jesus quotes it in Matthew chapter 10. That at the time of the coming of the Lord, that this would be the condition of the people. But as for me, this is Micah talking, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The confidence with which he can speak and know that God is to be trusted, although no one else can be trusted, and he will hear. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Well, you know, the light... The Lord being a light to me is actually very much in the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. And at Luke chapter 1, verse 79, those opening uh, chapters of Luke are actually really long. Luke 1, 79. Uh, this is Zechariah's prophecy, the father of John the Baptist. He said, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That's 78 to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's going to be a light provider. And at Luke 2, next chapter, verse 32, okay, we have Simeon in the temple. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. And at 32, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. You're living in that light because of that light. We're all Gentiles in here. That light has been a revelation to us. And we can see who the Lord is. And this is what Micah's going to say, that when I'm in darkness, and we were in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him. And how the prophets uh, identify with the people and suffer with them. And he says, I, because I've sinned until he pleads my cause. Well, the best pleading of the cause of God's people, of course, was Jesus himself, who the high priest after the order of Melchizedek became the sacrifice himself. When he entered the holy place, he didn't bring an animal. He brought himself. And at Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he 
always lives to make intercession for them. He always pleads their cause and executes just judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? People are saying that to us now. Where is the Lord your God? This is hocus pocus that you believe. It's not anything that you should be trusting in, that there's a Messiah and that he came and he saved you from your sin and he's going to come again. That's foolishness. Why do you think these stupid things? Give it up. We've got to figure this thing out ourselves. Okay? Where is your God? My eyes will look upon her, and now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls, and that day the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, mountain to mountain. In that day they will come. It's hard to think that you're going to have a glory again when you are in a very bad place and about to be overrun by Gentiles. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, the beautiful, glorious days of Moses. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed and they shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears will be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like crawling things. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds and shall turn in dread to the Lord our God. And they shall be in fear of you. It looks bad now, but there is a day when the enemy of the Lord, they will be put down. Who is a God like you? Well, that's Micah's name. You know, Micah means who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Beautiful passage. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers. And the swearing passage is Hebrews 6. As he swore to Abraham a sure promise, he did bring it to pass. And he will bring to pass these other things, which is that the earth would be full of the glory of the Lord and that all nations will come to him. And I know we're out of time. Lord, I just ask you to write these things on our hearts. These passages written by Micah so many years ago who could not even fathom what the body of Christ today might and could look like. Bring us into our own, Lord, that the earth would see and know and turn to you that they would look on the one whom they have pierced. We ask that you would be in our service today, and we graciously thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Life Application Study Bible uh, puts the entire chapter of Second Matthew 2 uh -huh. between verses 38 and 39 of Luke. They insert that. Uh, you know, the 39 starts with when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord. They put chapter or verse chapter two of Matthew in between that. Okay. They, they, uh, they say that, that because they did all that stuff, they bought a house in Bethlehem and then they escaped to Egypt. And so they say they're then, still in Bethlehem. Yeah, they say they're still in Bethlehem. So then, then that could be so, so that the Magi did come to Bethlehem then. That's, okay. that's how the life application Bible 
yeah. addresses the, the gap. But they weren't in the stable. They had a house, no, and that's the main yeah. thing. That's the, yeah. And the house had to be either in Bethlehem or maybe Nazareth, but maybe Bethlehem makes more sense because it's south of Jerusalem, and then they could flee to Egypt. Yeah, yeah. because Nazareth is up north, mm-hmm. north of that. So that would that's yeah, that's, that's, that's the bigger way, map. Than what that's the way yeah. they that's the way they explain it. Yes, and then when Joseph felt to come back, he decided to settle in Nazareth because Archelaus was so wicked and cruel and they wanted to stay away from that. And probably family business too. Yeah. So that's exactly probably what happened, is they probably got a temporary housing in Bethlehem, which would make sense that a mother with a young child would go back to Nazareth. Yeah. Why don't we dig out the tapes from the old surveillance cameras, check them out, the surveillance cameras would tell the truth. Get <laughs> yeah. Because they, they had drones. They had, they yeah. had drones. Oh, they circling. Didn't they, they have drones circling? All right, all right. Hey, there were drones circling, but they were spiritual yeah. drones. <laughs> well, we went back and we were studying about footwear today for them because, you know, they always display them in sandals. Yeah. But the truth was, we found on the internet, they said they were pretty sure they only had sandals. They didn't have the technology to make shoes. They wanted the leather sandal to protect their feet from the heat and the sand. When you think about it, before there's asphalt and concrete, you know, but living in a sandal your entire life seems kind of hard to me. Yeah, well, look at, you know, they didn't even wear out those 40 years. I know it. They didn't wear out. I have to wear so much cream and my calluses and everything. I'm just like, how did they manage all that? I don't think they were concerned about that. You have been listening to Bible Study Verse by Verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. That's www.biblestudy.org. V as in Victor, B as in boy, V as in Victor. The VBV stands for versebyverse.org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us, or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.